Ross Kickle on this episode of American Reef. We're going to do another update on my 110 gallon tank tank. about two years since we've done an update on the tank and as you know I kind of like to show progression through the years on tanks so I figured hey two years is a good time to kind of take a look at it and see what's changed what's working what's not working right if we look at the tank you know generally looking at it things are kind of the same right meaning I still have the same huge fish right they're all pretty healthy um, when you look at the corals uh, I have changed some of them around um, some of them having issues with a softy that we'll kind of go over there in a second um, but for the most part right it's on, on an autopilot um, when you look at it as far as changes in the system there are a couple things that I'm actually changing now that basically my goal is to again kind of save time and money right and we'll kind of go over some of those things and then also some things that you'll see that will soon be problems with this particular tank right? If we start with the life support systems, um, let's talk about life support systems. To me, life support is anything that's kind of water, filtration, um, lighting, that, that sort of thing, right? So if we look at basically the plumbing here, the way that the plumbing works, I haven't changed anything. I've got these CPR overflows, which basically drop water into my sump. Now, with the CPR overflows, I did a video uh, probably about a year or so ago saying, hey, I kind of like how they've worked, etc. And we've seen where on Mike Paletta's tank, how basically he's used them in that sunlit tank uh, with basically no issues as long as you do some maintenance on them. Well, that maintenance on them is kind of the thing we want to look at now, meaning that if you look, pretty soon I'm going to start to have issues with these uh, overflows. Meaning if you look down inside kind of where the overflows, there's barnacles and all kind of things just building up there. So pretty soon it's not going to allow water to come through. So I don't know exactly how I'm going to fix that. Um, I think at this point what I'm going to do is probably try to knock it away. But since we're talking acrylic that's been glued and running in salt water for the better part of a decade, I don't know how successful that, that will be without me kind of, kind of breaking uh, the seals and causing them to leak. So we'll see, but that's one issue that is coming up on the horizon. So if we look at the water coming down into that first chamber, there's a couple things that have changed here in the sump. You know, the first thing you'll notice, number one, is I still have those ceramic balls in there, but they're kind of getting clogged up a little bit, right? Main reason, I don't have the filter socks, because for me, you know, you need to change filter socks once every three-ish, four-ish days, clean them out sort of thing. And for me, it was starting to become more of a pain than it was worth, so I wanted to try it without filter socks. Well, as a byproduct, that means that I'm going to have to clean those spheres out more frequently. So what I'm experimenting with now, and you'll see, basically I have these red um, colanders, right, that are nothing more than cooking colanders. And what I've done is I've put basically uh, coffee filters in them. And, and the idea here is really simple. What I'm trying to do is make a disposable kind of filter software. Once a day, I just pull those things out, throw them in the garbage, and put a new one in. So it's kind of a, uh, a manual version of that product that Bulk Reef Supply sells. Um, I don't know if you have seen it before, but basically it's kind of a roll that the water will go down through, but the roll will kind of advance 
preventing a lot of the, uh, the decay that occurs over time and the high nitrate buildups um, that will occur without changing those socks. Right? So again, for me, the idea is, since I didn't want to change the socks every three to four days, I thought maybe this might be easier. So I'm experimenting with it. If it does work, it's one of these things where uh, I think that system in total into it, I may have somewhere in the neighborhood of five bucks. Right? So, um, I know filter socks are relatively inexpensive, but for me, the thing was time, right? Again, the theme here in general is I try to cut back on time because time equates to money. Um, and A, I want to use both of those as efficiently as possible. So that's one thing that I've done different here and I've kind of experimented with, we'll kind of see how it goes. The other thing you'll notice is I've got the heater now in that first chamber. I never had that in the first chamber for the longest time. And then doing some filming with, uh, with Mike, um, it was one of these comments where he made it and it just made perfect sense, meaning if you have it in the last chamber, which I always had mine in my last chamber, um, if the water drains out and that thing heats up, it's gonna break and cause issues. And over there, that chamber is never gonna get empty, right? Or for the most part, never get empty unless one of the seams break, those, those sorts of things. So to me, it's a lot safer and it's something that I've changed on here so that hopefully I can prevent bad things from happening. Um, so from a filtration kind of dumping into this first chamber, that's kind of what's happened over there. Um, again, nothing major, but as you can kind of see, um, the water's pretty clear. So those, you know, those coffee filters are doing their job there. And uh, if they do work, um, then what I probably end up doing is clean those spheres and then kind of letting them more of a full-time thing. Um, one of the issues that you will notice with at least this current setup, those, uh, those coffee filters, they don't let the water filter through quite enough, meaning it's, it's a slow drip versus um, something that would kind of let it filter through. So I, I'm still experimenting with her. If you wanna experiment with a little bit, let me know if you found a better solution. So for coffee filters, I didn't know if there was one that kind of was thicker or thinner than others, um, but either way, that's something I'm experiment, experimenting with. One of the other thoughts that I had, for example, was simple uh, washcloths, right? Throwing those in there because they tend to be a little more porous to grab some of the big stuff. But then we're talking washing again. I can't just throw them away. So either way, it's kind of a work in progress, but um, that's what's changed in that first sump area. Now, if we go to the second chamber, what's changed there is absolutely nothing, right? Meaning I still have Miracle Mud down below. I'm growing my basically macroalgaes and I have two of the Tunzi 9004 skimmers. Um, on the skimmers, one's running wet, one's running dry. And again, I, that was more of, I had the room in the sump, why not try to uh, basically take advantage of that by adding a little skimmer kind of filtration in there. Um, the pump is still the same. And for the most part, what I am doing is I am taking that macro algae and once every about week to two weeks, I'll cut a piece off and I'll put it up here right into one of the Tunzi boxes. Um, this box, I believe, is um, it's called a mangrove box where you would put kind of sand and stuff in the bottom and grow mangroves out of it. For me, I do it so that it's more of a feeding box. Right? So I'll take the, the, the live macroalgae, feed it to the fish, and then from there, um, basically, they'll pull it down through a mesh screen. Again, that's more of, I want to prune as much as possible. That way I am removing, we'll, we'll say, kind of the, the bad stuff 
from the filtration column that's kind of, again, recirculating and providing as food for the fish. So again, uh, in general, nothing's changed there, but I have added that box and I, went, I reviewed that through one of the videos, but just wanted to point that out. So the last chamber, things are pretty much the same, meaning that I have a GFO reactor and I've got Kalkwasser. Um, one thing that is kind of like back to, you know, what I used to use before is calcium reactor. It was offline for about two years, something like that, and uh, I had the time to kind of bring it back online, so to speak, so now I'm actually running the water through the calcium reactor and then, again, feeding it into that chamber. Uh, that's relatively new, meaning I started up about one to two weeks ago. I, the idea there is I was keeping all of my parameters in line with the Kalkwasser, but, you know, to me, there are benefits that you'll get from broken down kind of corals that aren't in your normal kind of Kalkwasser. And just looking to see if it's a good thing, bad thing, or not a thing. Like I said, in general, over two years, I didn't notice that much of a bad thing. I still got pretty decent growth, um, but we'll see, right? So I've got that back online where that has basically been offline for a while. So far, as far as life support, that's kind of, you know, in, in the sump, basically where we're at. I haven't changed a whole lot of things going on there. I still have the same Neptune Apex system. Like I said, it's kind of a bittersweet relationship there, meaning sometimes it works flawlessly. Other times when you need to rely on technology, it kind of fails you. So I still recommend for the new hobbyists, get your fundamentals first, then you can kind of go into there. Um, but again, it's the Neptune Apex with all the modules and you know, whether it's the water sensors, the pH, et cetera. You know, and as a side note, you know, one nice thing about having that Neptune Apex um, that I noticed when I was hooking my calcium reactor back up when I had my pH probe, you know, it's really nice having the, uh, basically the solenoid, right, being, you know, the unit that will allow basically CO2 into that reactor. When that's controlled through the Apex, you know, after it meets or, you know, exceeds certain thresholds, shutting that on and off really makes tuning the, the calcium reactor uh, again, really kind of like painless. So that's one thing I'll say it's got going in the corner, in its corner, I should say. Problem is sometimes that solenoid will, you know, stay open for whatever reason, you know. Um, and it's not necessarily the solenoid, but it's the lack of communication or something weird that happens there. Um, so again, I go back to love-hate relationship, but for the most part, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where uh, it, it provides more pros than cons, so for me, you know, I'll stick with it. And again, if you're a new hobbyist, I still say back off, learn your fundamentals first. Okay, so as it relates to lighting, same lights, right? The AIs, they are the blues. Uh, I haven't done anything except what I've done over the past two years is now, basically when I ramp it, what I do is I ramp it up to full blown power somewhere around noon, midday. Um, for, and I let, I let that run for about a half an hour. Then what I do is I have a lightning kind of mode where it will do the lightning kind of thing for about an hour. And then from there, it'll start at 100% again and kick down right till basically six o'clock or so, seven o'clock at night. And then it'll drop it basically to all blues. So my photo period on this thing, I mean, it's well into 16 hours, but you know, a good eight of it is powerful light. And the other eight, again, more blue kind of aesthetic looking lights. So nothing really has changed there, um, but it, as you can see, so far from a coral aspect, you know, um, nothing's bleaching and they seem to be okay with that 100%, so that, that's working good. Now as far as the circulation in the tank, uh, I've got multiple tons of power heads circulating through there. 
Um, my goal was actually to take and place in each one of these corners, uh, basically the Tunzi DC power head with uh, the C-sweeps, right? To allow kind of that oscillating um, motion as well as kind of the on and off surging that you would get. Uh, I haven't done that yet. My goal is still to do that, just to kind of, again, really give some random flow because, you know, over here in this, behind this, you know, coral colony of Montipora, um, you know, the issue is, is it's a dead spot back there, right? Again, the tank is only so large, so I should have kept that off that while larger, but then I couldn't have this valley in there. So, you know, for me, I definitely need to try to do something to kind of keep that from being just a toxic mess. I'll say in general, as far as the aquascaping, right, and the sand, I do not do any of the aqua vacuuming. Um, my, my mindset there is this. It's kind of like asbestos. When you take asbestos out of a wall, that's when it becomes dangerous. If it's in there not being moved, then it's not dangerous. So to me, back in this corner where things are kind of cruddy, et cetera, um, I'm just gonna let it go and um, again, keep on doing my water changes and keeping the water quality up that way. I would think that if one of these power heads would fall down there and hit that kind of back area, the rust would have some issues. Um, so it's kind of, you're, you're playing with a loaded gun, so to speak. Um, but for, at least for now, it's not something that I'm willing to tackle on here. So as far as water changes, I still do my daily kind of water changes. Um, the water changes themselves, somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three gallons automatically get dropped a, a day. And again, this is the, the nice part about the Neptune Apex because I have a program just to douse the pumps, you know, from there, the water will get pumped out of it. And then I put new fresh water into it. Um, and again, it seems to be fine with the corals. You know, my, all my levels are pretty much the same. As far as uh, the testing goes, you know, with that water chemistry, you know, I'll test alkalinity a lot. Everything else I've been more on site lately. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, to me, I'm a little bit lazy due to some kind of family health issues that we've got going on. So I haven't spent a ton of time with the tank, but it's kind of working and I'll knock on wood um, that visually I'll be able to kind of see what's going on. And it, it's been okay so far. So one of the things you'll notice also on here are the automatic feeders. Right? Again, with those kind of health related issues, sometimes I'll be away for weeks at a time and I need to make sure that the tank still gets fed. So I've got basically these HPD pellets that I put in there and I, for the most part, I'll feed off of this right one because it'll hit the box and from there it'll sink down through as opposed to kind of go over the overflow. I have this one more of its backup, meaning, you know, those pellets will last in here for about a week to two weeks uh, without any issues. But if for some reason I'm going to be out longer, then I go to that. Um, so in general, from a feeding Again, that's that Neptune Apex where it allows me to do that. So when it works great, I love it. And when it doesn't, then, you know, I'm bitching about it night and day because you rely on it. So one of the other things that I've been doing as far as kind of feeding is I've been making larger batches of the HPD and I've been freezing them. Um, main reason there, again, is though I like the pellets, pellets will fall down, circulation will get it, push it to the back, and it'll go uneaten. And then it causes basically breakdown and you know, bad things happen. So for me, I really like the distribution of the HPD powder when you put it in the feeding clip, because you know it goes from kind of that gelatin form, so to speak, into the, into the fish's mouth and belly. Um, and so that's my preferred way. So again, to kind of compensate for the fact that I may not be here for a week or two weeks at a time, you know, what I do is I make a batch of about a month's worth and that way my tank sitter 
um, can just go in and get a couple cubes, throw it into the bag and throw it in here. And if they come every once, every two, three days, it's still, you know, again, I know that they're getting at least the best food um, at that time as opposed to just relying just on, the, again, the pellets. Um, I get lots of questions on, you know, kind of how to do this, how to do that. So I think what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take and show you an example of how I make uh, those little batches uh, just because, again, uh, through time you kind of learn a little tricks, tips and tricks, so to speak, and uh, hopefully that'll help you out. So as far as kind of making larger batches, to me, the concept is really simple. All you need is some egg crate, some of these containers, and some HPD. And these containers, number one, this is one that I got from my grocery store. They actually have cookies into it. If you have like a Gordon's food service, for example, you can get you know, 500 of these things for like five bucks, 10 bucks, something like that. They're really inexpensive. Um, and then egg crate, again, these are nothing but light diffusers, so you get a home, Home Depot, Lowe's, that kind of, that kind of uh, store, like a home goods store. And then from there, what you'll do is in the lighting section where they have the drop ceiling, they'll have this egg crate. And it comes usually by two by four kind of sheets. And all you do is you use that to give you your pattern to basically make the small little chunks. And they have, you know, deep uh, egg crate. They've got wide egg crate. They've got, you know, all kind of different options. So depending on how big of squares that you want, you can you know, basically choose the one you like. For me, this is just the generic little egg crate that kind of got flown around. And all I do is I make a form by basically taking this plastic container, right, and marking where the outside to that is. And what I'm gonna do from here is for the egg crate itself, some people use saws. Right, they'll use a table saw and fly through. I found that just using plain straight wire cutters, right? And you go like that and it'll start to break it. And so let me get, let me take the camera, bring it a little bit closer and you'll kind of see what's going on here. So you can see basically where I have a mark. I just take and literally cut those lines straight down. And by using these wire cutters, you'll find out that you really don't have a lot of pieces of plastic flying up and gonna shoot you in the eye. That being said, you should probably wear some kind of protective eye gear, just because one piece of plastic may go rogue, you never know. So there we go. Right. Again, that took all of 30 seconds, right?
And what you're going to do is you're going to take, and now that you have a form, all we have to do is take our HPD and spread it through here. So for the HPD itself, I'm just going to heat up some water. And again, basically the ratio goes something to the effect of, you know, one part water to two parts HPD, and you'll have to customize it. So we're going to take that, that, and that's just regular RODI water. Let's put it in the microwave. Got that. So I'll heat this baby up for about two minutes. So basically I have my hot water, again, hot boiling water. And like I said, usually it's a, uh, as far as the ratio goes, you're gonna have two parts of HPD to one part water. And as I've told many people who like to customize their blends like I do, what you wanna do is you wanna make sure before putting kind of like your PE-mysis, things of that nature, you want to make sure that you, um, you make some batches without any customization in it first. Because if you, you'll find out that if you don't have enough HPD, it'll fall apart in the water. Right? So if, if, if it is falling apart on, on you in the water, then chances are you don't have enough HPD in there. Because it should last hours without falling apart. So you can kind of see the consistency here. Again, I, I, I try to make this one a little wetter. Uh, that way, when you put it into the grate itself, it'll kind of fit down in there pretty good. And remember for me, besides the HPD, I always customize, excuse me, customize mine with my shredded nori. Right. And Again, from the shredded nori end of it, put as much as you want. For me, you know, you don't need the nori. I just like it since I've got all tangs. I tend to do nori anyway. So again, from the nori end of it, then I'll take from there, and I actually take some of the HPD pellets, and I kind of mix it in there as well. And again, if you have whatever kind of pellets, like for example, I know Mike has uh, the pellets where it brings out the reds in fish, so he likes to use those. Right? You can use whatever you want. Right? And then from there, all we're going to do is we're going to take now and dump it. And now to, to make it, again, I will take and you can kind of see how much that made, right? And now what I'll do is I'll go make some more. 
So there we go. So now what I'll do is I'll take, you see that, and I'll take the excess, So now I'll just scrape the excess off the top, like so, and I'll use it for this week's batch. Now that I got the excess, I'll just wipe kind of the excess off the sides, top one, and then with the top, what I tend to do is I hit it off the bottom of my hand and that flattens it out. And what I do is I'll take some reef chili and then I sprinkle it on the top. Again, it's just because I like the reef chili. Put it on my last batch. Hit that a couple times. Get the lid away. Now this bad boy is ready for freezing. And after you're done, now you just put it in the freezer. Now, for me, I let it set overnight. Then I'll take the traditional batch, put it in the refrigerator. So I'll feed that one for probably two-ish weeks, you know, depending on how long that lasts. And then I've got my batch there that I'll start to draw from. Okay, so let's talk some economics why I clean up. Um, one of the things that I found out basically is per every one of these containers of HPD, um, you make about 200 little squares. Uh, it, it depends, right? It depends on the depth of the egg crate. It depends on the width, et cetera. But you're gonna be around the 200 little you know, square kind of pieces. Um, now, again, as far as cost goes, uh, I ship this to the house for $25, but the food is actually around $19 because it costs $6 for the shipping kind of piece of it. Um, so for 19 bucks, you get roughly 200 squares, right? Well, when you start to look at what you get in like, we'll say the traditional kind of blister packs, um, like the Mysis, et cetera, you'll, you know, you'll buy a blister pack for roughly, you know, I'll say 10 to 15 bucks, depending on, you know, uh, the make, manufacturer, store, et cetera. Um, and you get 35 to 40, you know, maybe 45-ish kind of, of the little blisters of food, right? And so when you look at it, again, to try to hit that 200 number, you know, you have to buy a good bit, like dollar value-wise, right, to even come close to the value that you get to the HPD. So when you look at it, you know, one of these containers of HPD, uh, again, it's a tremendous value. And the other thing that I really like about this, and I'll get on my horse or my soapbox a little bit here, um, because yeah, I always say this, um, you know, this food, the fish will actually eat, right? Whereas when you get to the frozen, you know, the blister packs and things of that nature, when you throw it in a tank, it goes swirling around the tank and not all of it actually goes into their belly, right? And you'll find out a good chunk of it will go down through the filter, et cetera. So it's wasted, right? And it just causes more stress on your filtration system. And so for me, again, after using the HPD for a decade or so, it's one of those things where I, I love the food, you know, because not only you do that, and then you can customize it, right? You can add your nori, you can add your reef chili, you can add whatever you want to it to basically 
basically make sure that you customize your food to your tank, right? Um, and uh, that being said, that's why I'm a big fan of the HPD. And what we will do now is we will let this food set for about 24-ish kind of hours. And then I'll come back and show you what it looks like and we'll feed some to that tank. So I've been letting this bad boy sit overnight. It's in the morning. One of the things that occurred to me yesterday uh, after I actually filmed was I threw it into the freezer instead of the refrigerator. So that being said, after you make your batch, you want to make sure you put it into the refrigerator, not the freezer. You only want to freeze it when it's done. Uh, the general idea behind that is uh, you'll never get the uh, HPD out of these little cells, right, when it's frozen. Because look, I mean, just as it is now, right, it's a solid piece. So when it's ice, it's kind of a, an impossible task. So now the, the only thing left to do is to take the little cells that exist, and if you want, you can kind of take the bottom and you can pop them out like that. And there's your little cell that'll go through. So for me, I'm just gonna take now, you know, a couple minutes here and I'll pop them out, put them in the cell, and then we'll try them out on the fish tank. So as you can see, very little waste. Um, you know, if you want to clean this up again, just use hot water. I avoid soaps at all costs, right? And, uh, and we can take now and feed these pieces to the tangs. And again, you can kind of see very, see how it's very pliable or malleable, but yet it stays together. Again, that's why when we take a bite out of this food, again, they take the bite, but yet it stays solid. So again, that distribution of food goes straight from here into their mouths. And again, it's just one of those things that I really like. That said, let's feed the fish and let's talk about what's going on uh, with one of the corals that I've got. So now, as far as the tank goes itself, um, again, the fish you'll see, they're all kind of basically the same fish. I've got, you know, the tangs beating away at the food, obviously, and, and I love this tang tank, meaning, you know, I've got the six yellow tangs, I've got the hippo, the naso, the powder blue. Uh, there's some blennies in there um, as well. I've got some aptasia eating foul fish to kind of keep the aptasias down. But in general, love the fish. Nobody has jumped out yet. And right now it's a little bit packed, so I won't be adding any new fish uh, unless somebody decides to exit the tank. And hopefully they don't because again, I, I love the tangs and I love the, the just general look of the tank. Uh, as far as the coral go, again, this Monty over here is growing like a weed. Uh, a month ago, I probably stripped off two feet of uh, just, you know, frags from it and it still grows. So, uh, 
you know, eventually that's probably gonna change. So the next video that we do, do as far as an update goes, uh, that will probably be gone and replaced with something. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, uh, that being said, all the other corals, uh, pretty much growing, everybody's doing healthy. The one issue that I am having is with the uh, leather coral. If we look at that leather coral over there, that mushroom leather, either something's eating the sides or there's some kind of you know tissue necrosis going on. I don't think it's necrosis because usually necrosis is kind of brown dying skin. Um, and there it just looks like it's being peeled back. So again, the next video we'll probably find something going on there where, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll keep an eye on it, but we'll have to determine you know, what's happening. But in general, as far as the tank, uh, you can kind of see, I don't have a whole lot of rock space left, so there's not a whole lot of room for new corals. I um, might be going with a Gorgonian down on the bottom or something like that, but I really like the openness, so you can kind of see the sand, the little pathways, things of that nature. So in general, that's an update of this 110 gallon tank tank. About two years or so, we'll come back, take a look again, see what's changed. And uh, from there, like I said, I'll kind of keep you posted throughout the various segments so you can kind of see maybe uh, if the, uh, the colander thing kind of worked or what was going on with the calcium reactor. But in general, again, really happy with the tank. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to send them over to me at AmericanReef@me.com. And lastly, you heard me say many, many times, right? Please give my sponsors a chance to earn that business. And the reason why is because I believe them to be good, honest people that deserve that chance, right? This hobby needs them, and I believe you as a hobbyist need them. Um, because again, they won't let you fail. That's companies like Bulk Reef Supply, Premium Aquatics, Tunzi, right? Ecosystems with their milk or mud, etc. Again, all very good, honest people that deserve a chance to earn your business. Again, I'm Russ Kiko, and thanks for watching this episode of American Reef.